Welcome you back this evening as we continue on our journey with John. Before we jump right into that, it's always interesting to hear uh, some of the reactions to your sermon that you give on Sunday morning. And right before tonight, we were meeting with our small group and we were talking about the various fasting challenges that I've given and how different people have done different things. And one of the families shared that they were kind of taking a little twist on the no complaining and the, the no negativity fasting challenge, which I issued this morning. And they decided what they were going to do was play a game and uh, give each person in the family a bag of pennies. And so every time that they would complain and they were called out on it, they had to put a penny in a jar or something like that. And so the goal being to, to see at the end of the week who has the most pennies left over. Um, and I, I love the idea and I love the, the application of it. And of course, working as a family is a great thing too. Uh, however, I do know that since the family that shared, I, I think I, they, they don't mind if I share. This is the Heralds and they're friends of ours and they have kids our age and I know exactly how that's going to work with siblings, don't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> somebody's going to call them out, you know, brother's going to call sister out and say, you were complaining. And she's going to say, this is a stupid game. I hate this. And Clark's going to be right there going, that's another penny. <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> this may not play out as well as they planned, but I love that they're, that they're working hard at it. And um, I, I appreciate the effort that's being made to, to work, sort of work on these things that are easy to get into and sort of hard to get out of. We're, we're distracted by media. We're distracted by uh, uh, different things, even simple things like food and drink. We're distracted by the complaints of this world. When you really stop and think about it, uh, whatever situation you're in right now, we don't have any reason to complain. When I think about all the problems I have, they are not problems at all. And so it's a, it's a good time to think about, get perspective on your problems and also to be able to acknowledge the many blessings that we have. And of course, that should make us better stewards of our blessings. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about stewarding from the perspective of a servant. As you are following along in your Bibles in the journey with John, we are in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 is the, our key text that we'll be in tonight. A well-known story, one I've preached about before, one you've heard probably many lessons on because there are a lot of good lessons to draw from it. But as we go back to John chapter 13, I want you first to understand what is happening here. Jesus, in this story, takes the role of a servant. The Greek word that's used, that Jesus later uses, doulos. Anyone who serves at the behest of another. One whose, whose very actions and his very, uh, every choice that, that he makes is a choice belonging to someone else. And so in John 13, when Jesus takes a knee, and he takes a towel, and he comes across 24 dirty, sweaty, Disgusting feet that he has walked with now for close to three years. And he washes each one of them. And, and he knows their feet for sure. He knows their hearts. 
He knows the men who are connected to each of those feet. Whether it's the disciple whom Jesus loved, who writes the book that we're in. Whether it's Peter, the brash, uh, the crude. Whether it's James and John, those sons of thunder. All the way down to Judas. He knows their feet. It's this action right here that would be deeply offensive if you understood in that culture what it meant to be a servant. As Jesus didn't... Jesus was king. He is king. When you're king, when you're Lord, you don't have to take a knee. Unless... Unless you're choosing to take a knee. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. As we think about this story, hopefully we'll gather some, some interesting, under, a, a greater understanding rather, of what Jesus was trying to do and what lessons he was trying to give them and us. John chapter 13, start there at the very beginning. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter. Of course, Simon Peter would say this, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. A Sunday night crowd especially, 
There is no doubt in my mind you know this story. But that wasn't why John put it in there. That wasn't why Jesus set the example. It was not so that you would know that story well. He wanted you to be blessed by doing what he showed us how to do. In the parenting world, uh, there's a phrase that I like to use a lot. It's more is caught than taught. Which is a scary idea as a parent. When you look at your beloved child and they say something stupid or do something dumb. As children are prone to do. And in a moment you say, where did they get that? Oh. From their mother. Jesus needed them not to understand the teaching on an intellectual level. Jesus needed them to understand it on a heart level. And the only way you teach to the heart is through action, through example. And so what your children catch goes far beyond what your words say. What your children catch is your example, your lifestyle, your modeling And so what Jesus here is doing is encapsulating all of the sermons and the messages and the stories. And he's saying, I want to show you what it looks like to follow me. Now, now Peter especially, Peter knew who Jesus was. You were the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, if he believed that, and I believe that he did, then when Jesus did this, there, there was a, There was a a disconnect in his mind. We don't see kings do that. So what is Jesus trying to teach us here? I want to give you three things and then hopefully you can apply them in your own way. The first is this basic idea that we all need washing. In verse 8, Jesus says... Unless unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Now, if you remember, if you've been here through the entire text, John has been uh, fairly consistently two or three times mentioning the act of washing. If you remember the very first time that Jesus did a miracle was when he took... These, two, these jars of ceremonial washing water. And he changed them into wine. Now, it, I'm not sure if Jesus planned for that to be the first miracle, but it, it was. It's the first of the recorded miracles. And there's something there about the power of Jesus in the washing to change something from what it is to something far better. Okay? You, you may remember in John chapter 9, in the story of Jesus... Healing the blind man, he, he told the man to go wash, to take what was and to make it into something vastly better. Both times the washing has taken what is and improved it greatly. I think this is what happens here in John 13. But, but to come to that understanding, you have to realize Something that the apostles perhaps didn't. See, Jesus, and if you could graph it out, Jesus is still up here in terms of popularity. It's getting ready to go down real quick, okay? But it's up here. 
And if you're an apostle, if you're one of the chosen 12, it's like, man, this is, we are, we are the power people. I mean, we are connected to the guy that they, they just throw down their palm leaves in front of and it's called Hosanna. I mean, we're his right hand men. In this kingdom that, that Jesus that we happen to be connected to, in this new kingdom where we overthrow Rome, I mean, we're going to be like generals and we're going to be mages. We're going to be big time. And Jesus knows that's not going to happen. But I'm not sure that they do. And so Jesus has to remind them that we all need the washing. That Jesus came to take what is and make it vastly better. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I realize it's not in the Gospel of John, but think outside the Gospel for me, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All disciples, from John to Judas to you and me, we've got dirt. We've got stuff. We've got junk. We've got things that shouldn't be. And we got to acknowledge that before we can deal with it. Now, the church at Corinth was a pretty rough crew, and Paul has to write a pretty serious letter to them. And in chapter 6, starting in verse 9, here's what he says. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice, practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the church ought to be a place where when we start reading that verse, we feel pretty convicted. Because it ought to step on our toes. Oh yeah, I remember that way. Certainly it was to them. Paul calls it out. You were, you were all, at one point or another, one of these things on the list. Then he says something very important. He puts a very precious conjunction in there. He says this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, Paul gets the idea. Paul understood what it was to wash and to be changed. We all need that same washing that Paul would write about in Titus 3. He says, but when the kindness and love of God, of our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Because I'll read it again. Just in case you didn't, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. None of us deserved it, but all of us needed the cleansing of Jesus, the washing of Jesus. Now, it's important 
Because if you don't understand that you were once one who needed washing, it's going to be harder for you to be convicted to help others in the washing. If if you're not convicted that you really needed the washing, it's going to be hard when you are called upon to help others to go to the one who washes and changes. Why would you? I mean, if you don't think you need it, why would you think anyone else needs it? So we must understand that we all, all of us, every single one of us, needed the washing. The second is that he came to cleanse. Jesus is not surprised or scared by the dirt in your life. Humor me for a minute. Close your eyes. Don't look at me. I I preferably do those two things together. Just close your eyes. Would you please imagine the dirt in your life that you've had or that you have? Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was decades ago. Keep your eyes closed. Maybe you struggled with it a long time ago. Maybe you struggled with it just a little while ago. Maybe you're struggling with it now. Now, keeping your eyes closed in the same picture, can you imagine Jesus in the same room with you in the dirt, whatever it is? It's hard to do. You can open your eyes. It's hard to do. It really is. It's hard to think that Jesus could be in the same room as the dirt, as the the junk, all the vile stuff that we just thought of. But he's not surprised by it. I mean, he doesn't like it for sure. But he knew what would be in your mind just now. He knew that long before you were ever born. He knew that would be there and he came to take care of that problem. See, a lot of times we think, well, yeah i got this dirt over here. I really want as far away from Jesus as possible. But Jesus is not surprised by this. He's not surprised by the dirt that we have. What he needs us to do is to be honest about it so that he can deal ever so justly and mercifully with it. That was his purpose, was to deal with the dirt. You see, we're all sort of used to the dirt. Um, we read it. We see it on the internet, we see it on television, we hear it from our friends, we hardly drive down the road without seeing it. We just live in a world that's full of nasty, stinky, dirty, vile, gross, disgusting sin. And when you're used to living with it, it's kind of hard not to get used to it. Jesus is is not okay with it. However dirty the world becomes, however vile it becomes, and there are days I think it can't get much worse, but I know that it can. (laughs) Jesus came to deal with that dirt, too. Um, Six or seven months ago, we had a men's class, and we were kind of working on some leadership skills. And so I thought one of the very important things that our leaders, our men, who would lead in some form or fashion, need to learn to do is to wash feet. Of course, being the good teacher that I am, I did exactly the Jesus thing, and I did not warn them about this because nobody would have been in class. We talked about leadership, and then I asked them to take off their shoes. 
and their socks. And you could feel the collective eye roll in the room. Really. Some people actually, absolutely, actually refuse to do it. Because it's embarrassing. Because I don't want somebody else touching my feet. Maybe on a very minute scale did they understand what the apostles must have felt as Jesus' holy hands that healed the blind man, that called out Lazarus, as, as those hands, as that, that human part of Jesus touched their feet. Which in that culture, if you understand, is a, is a most, it's considered a very intimate part of the body. And it wasn't to be touched. It wasn't even to be exposed. When you follow Jesus, it's not that he just understands that you're dirty. He wants, he wants to get all of it. The hidden parts, the secret parts, the parts in the crevices. He, he needs to get to all of it. And you have to be trusting enough to let him do that. You have to be willing and trusting enough to say, all right. I mean, like Peter, give him credit. If this is what it takes, then here's my hands and my head as well. If, I, if you've got to wash me for me to be a part of you, then wash away. If, if, it, it, it's as if... Peter's thinking, if Jesus is offering grace, then I might as well load up. John would later say in 1 John chapter 1, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. That idea being continually purifies us from all sin. We have to have the relationship with Jesus we have to be able to deal with the dirt and, and understand that we can't deal with the dirt on our own. It's only by Jesus cleansing and doing what he came to do. So we all have dirt. He came to cleanse it. And so if we'll let him clean us, if we'll let him wash us, we'll be radically changed like water to wine, like a blind man who can see. We will be changed. But there's one more step to it. You see, if we're going to allow Jesus to wash us and deal with it and take it away, and we'll sit there clean, and just imagine these, these, these 12 men are around this, in this room here, and Jesus has washed all their feet. And there's a moment as he, as he pulls back the wash basin and takes the towel and he wraps himself again, and all of them have clean feet, sparkling and pure and fresh Jesus calls them to take another step. He calls them to do what he just did for them. To go out into a dirty world. To talk about the dirt. To acknowledge the dirt. To point them to Jesus the cleanser. And then to go and do the same. We're called to help others wash. I think John 13, 4-12 is a fantastic picture of the gospel. You think about it. Look at, look at verses 4 through 12 if you want to follow along with me on this thought. 
He came down. Verse 4 says, he got up. He came, he, he starts about this taking a knee process. He humbled himself. He took off his outer clothing, okay? This was a, a very, Jesus is becoming very comfortable with them when he takes off this outer clothing. He washed us. We already talked about it. He began to wash his disciples' feet. He was resurrected. He put on, he puts on his clothes, symbolizing that the resurrection body he's going to receive. And then he returned to his place. What's happening in John 13, if you catch it or not, John's symbolizing here. I'm not saying it, this didn't actually happen, but John's saying he's telling the gospel story that he came down, he humbled himself to wash us to be resurrected, that we might find resurrection, and then to return to his rightful place. So we are called not only to wash, but to participate in the washing of others. Now, don't misunderstand me. That does not mean that we, we ourselves do the washing. Okay, we are, I baptized a lot of people, and to be honest, I don't try to keep too much track of it, because my part is not the important part. You know, on Judgment Day, it does not matter how many people I was sort of in the water with. I don't think there's extra bonus points for that. We're all called to be a part of leading people to the washer, the one who washes and makes clean, the doulos, the servant. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Of course, Jesus washed 12 sets of feet that night. But I think there were three different, very different sets of feet as you think about it. First, there was the the people who we love. John has not referred to himself by name in this entire gospel, only as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, But in my estimation, John was probably Jesus' closest friend. That's Toby's opinion. You can look that up in Second Opinions if you like. I think he was close to Jesus. He understood Jesus. They had a, 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 a beautiful friendship. And John was with him all the way. And he washed John's feet. And those probably weren't hard feet to, to wash. The feet who follow you. Then he came to Peter. P- Peter represents the people who love us poorly. We might call them the calloused feet. He meant well, but he made some mistakes, certainly, as we talked about this morning. But those calloused feet would, would continue on in the journey with Jesus. And then he came to Judah's feet. And those represent the people who have hurt us, the people who have caused us grief or harm. And Jesus washed their feet, too. I call those the fleeing feet. So the feet who follow, the calloused feet, the fleeing feet, there's, there's different sorts of people that Jesus washed. And I think as we consider our walk with Christ, leading others to the one who can truly change a heart and a life, we're called to lead those kind of people. We're called to people to lead those who love us, those who are easy to love. We're called to lead the people who they have a lot of rough edges. They have a long ways to go. They mean well, but they make a lot of mistakes. 
And we're even called to love our enemies. Remember what David said of the good shepherd, you set me a table in the presence of my enemies. This is what Jesus experienced that very night. So as we finish, let me draw maybe three applications that won't be on the screen. First and foremost, if, if, if you haven't been, and I hate to just rush over this point, but if you haven't been washed, you need to let Jesus wash you. Because there's no other way into eternity. Unless I wash you, Jesus said, you can have no part of me. Two parts to that. One is um, you need to stop ignoring your dirt. Um, Dirt is not cute or funny or silly. God does not wink at it. He sent his son to die for it. And if you've got stuff in your life, I hope that you have someone to talk to about that. Maybe a shepherd, um, me if you need to, a small group. Someone, uh, an, an owls, a prayer pal. I mean, we've got so many venues and options for people that you can deal with your dirt, but, but don't ignore it, okay? That's probably the worst thing to do. And, and don't refuse Jesus if, if you haven't let that happen. But the second point is that we need to have enough love in our hearts to lead others to the wash basin. So you and I have a finite amount of time. Um, I saw a movie one time when there was all the characters had little clocks above their heads, kind of a digital countdown thing. Like as soon as it reached zero, however they were died, they die. You know, and um, I thought, how interesting would that be if we all had the clocks above our heads? I think as we got down to the last hour, things would get pretty serious for us. But we don't get to know that, and because we don't get to know that, we should have a constant sense of urgency about leading others to the wash basin. Uh, Those we love, those who are hard to love, and even those who hurt us. God loves all of us, and he wants us all to be in eternity with him. So may we we wash our Johns, or maybe wash our Peters, maybe wash with Judas the people that are in our lives, as Jesus did. And that means the last thing we're going to talk about You've got to take a knee and a towel. I said the, the Greek word for servant is doulos. And um, Jesus said no servant is greater than his master. Now, if Jesus, the ultimate master, the king, the ruler, took on a knee, then how much more than should we? How much more than are we called to take a knee and to serve others? Not for just good works, not for spiritual brownie points, because we love them and because we need them, we need to lead them to the one who took the ultimate knee for us. So tonight, I want to call you and ask you this question. Uh, Have you dealt with your dirt? Uh, The only way to deal with it is to let Jesus wash it. And if you've let him wash it, has, has, has he washed it fully? Are you fully clean? Are you walking in the light? Do you have fellowship with one another? And are you actively, consistently, intentionally, purposefully leading others to the one who washes? Now think about one one person in your mind, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, 
Maybe even a spouse, child, grandchild. I don't know. You have to think of them. Who has not yet been washed. And who needs to be. And maybe you're thinking of them now. Because God needs you to think of them. With more urgency than you do. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you so much for the example of Jesus. Of course his teachings were great. We have spent centuries studying them and thinking about them and learning them and memorizing them. But it was his example that changed us. Even today. Father, as we think about the humility which with he showed to, to lay down his life and take upon death, even death on a cross for us, we are greatly humbled and awestruck at his love for us. And Father, I pray that each of us here tonight has understood that love in a way that has caused us to change and to wash and to let him wash us fully. But if there's not any, if there are some here that have not done that, Father, I pray that they would come tonight. And Father, for those of us who have taken the washing of Jesus, but who have not, we've been very stingy with the water and the soap ourselves. We've been hesitant to let others know the gift of free grace that lies just in the asking. Father, forgive us. And help us to do better at leading others to your Son. For we know he's our only hope. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. If you have any need tonight to make it right, to become clean, to let Jesus wash you, or you need to change some things in your life, and you'd like the encouragement and prayer of our shepherds or myself, or any way we can help you, please come meet me down front. As together we stand and sing.